the farthest reaches of the galaxy, the Midwest. You're watching Beyond the Blast Doors Live. Welcome into BTBD Live, episode 97. Wherever you may be watching or may be listening, welcome in here onto the YouTube show, Beyond the Blast Doors, episode 97, where we're going to have a great time in this next hour. And I'll be honest, uh, Pete, we were going to have these great headlines. We were going to have a nice little intro. We prepared yep. it. But you know what? Yep. Sometimes we just got to do something differently. Uh, we're in for an incredible hour. Big thank you to everyone that's joining us uh, in the live chat for the live show uh, this week. Of course, you can also be listening to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And we're streaming live on Facebook and Periscope. Uh, Mr. Pete Fletzer, uh, I'm David Amelotti. We're here to have a great Star Wars conversation with you. Welcome in. We've got a full hour planned. We're going to have a special guest. Uh, it's going to be great. Mr. John Knowles will join us. We're going to have, well, we have another friend joining yeah, the do. show. It's very impromptu. It's very casual this week. You know, we have the Mandalorian. That seems to be a big deal. The Manda what now? The, man the Manda who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like Star Wars Squadrons dropped some DLC, and everyone's like, "Wait, why do I care about this TV show anymore?" It's, it's, it's in insignificant. Uh, people are really excited about the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special, by the way. Yeah. So uh, that should be something we may be address. There's people complaining about that. Um, I want those people to get. I, I don't want to talk about those people. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Uh, they're the they're the worst. <laughs> hey, um, you can probably tell my voice. I'm just really excited about the conversation that we're gonna have. Uh, we got a new look. We got a little bit better sound. We got some friends joining us. First guest here this week on BTB Live, episode 97, Mr. Scotty J. Rowe of Bomb Badcast. Scotty, how are we doing, sir? We are doing great. David, what's going on, brother? That is so much of your face right now on screen that I cannot, <laughs> I cannot handle it. That is a lot of face. That's terrifying. <laughs> oh, awesome. God, I'm glad that didn't freeze up on us. <laughs> Scotty, sometimes you have to understand... Our decisions have consequences, and usually the bad ones involve you. Hey, we're going to have a lot of fun this hour. want to first take a moment real quick and just say hi to everyone in live chat. What we're going to do is really simple. Uh, we're going to talk about an effort here, the Hyper Toy Drive that is near and dear to our hearts here on the Beyond the Blast Doors Network. We're going to talk about that here for a couple of minutes, and we're going to dive into uh, the main portion of our show. But first, uh, a shout-out to We Have. Andy from Hollow Chronicles in live chat. Andy, so good to see you. You know, uh, it, I got a story about Andy, and it's connected to our guest. It's going to be a lot of fun. I hope John gets, a, gets a, a kick out of it. We got Matthew. We got JD in the live chat. We've got Mr. Rez. We got Gilster, Gallinorian Saber, Catherine. We have Apprentice Ewok. We got some new faces Ooh. in here. We have all remaining systems. We got a good live crowd with us already. So we're just going to ask you to do us a favor right now. Smash that share button. We want to get everyone here with us uh, to hear about this great cause and also uh, get a little insight into uh, Lucas Arts in the 90s. We're going to talk about uh, some of the, the greatest titles to come out of there by the guy who designed them. We're going to talk about the modern Star Wars game, maybe how they're similar, maybe how they're not similar, and then the future of the industry. And in the middle of that, we're going to sprinkle in some boom, Mandalorian, boom. We're going to throw in a little Lego Star Wars, maybe? Probably not. That's very unlikely. Let's be honest about it. But um, for the uh, the opener of this, uh, I, I want to get right into this, is the fact that we are doing the Hyper Toy Drive here on the Beyond the Blast Doors network. And, and, and Pete, can you look, give us a breakdown here? It looks like we have 12 content creators coming together for a really great cause. Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting. Um, I was I was selling Andy and Josh on Hollow Chronicles on Monday. I was driving home probably from GameStop after buying some ridiculous toy for no reason. And I heard on the radio that Toys for Tots this year has been 
you know, like so many different charities has been just decimated by COVID. There's not a lot of people giving, there's not a lot of people out to help them with their collection. And so what uh, what we've decided to do here at Beyond the Blast Doors um, is to see what we could do to help. And while we did that, we reached out to a whole bunch of our friends in the content world, the Star Wars content world, Star Wars Explained, Steel Wars, Sith List, Tarkin's Top Shelf, Tatooine Sons, Idiot's Array, um, Kanata's Castle, and of course, Kessel Run uh, Transmissions. And, you know, we are all trying to collect toys to go to Toys for Tots. And it's very simple. We've made it really easy to do. One of the great things about Star Wars, and we talk about it on the show all the time, is, gosh, we're all collectors at one level or another. So to buy a toy versus, you know, sending a, a check or something, there's a little bit more connection there. And so if you go to Beyond the Blast Doors, dot com slash toy drive you're going to find a link to an amazon wish list and you can select any toy from that list toy or book and send it off to the btbd uh, toy drive connection uh, collection point and we will make sure that it gets to toys for tots in time to put toys in the hands of children that will you know it'll change their their holiday season all right. Well, Pete, before we move on, we do have a trailer for this event that we're going to show off. Uh, our own Shannon Moran was able to cut this together. So if you need any more of a reason to donate, it's come on, it's kids, it's the holiday season. It's giving them a smile on a day where they're maybe not anticipating a gift for them. Um, th this will tell you everything you need to know about. Uh, consider again. You, you, you should give. Like many charities this year, Toys for Tots has been hit hard by COVID-19 and the families that need them the most. You might wanna buckle up, baby. That is why we are proud to be one of a dozen Star Wars podcasts and shows behind the 2020 Hyper Toy Drive, a collection for Toys for Tots. Donating a toy is easy. Simply select a toy or toys from the Amazon wish list. The link can be found at beyondtheblastdoors.com forward slash toy drive. Place your order and select the BTBD toy drive address to ship to. It will be delivered to the Beyond the Blasters collection point. And once the toy drive has ended on December 4th, all the gifts you've donated will be delivered to the Toys for Tots team just in time to be given to a child in need. Your donations will be hand-delivered by the Toys for Tots team to a kid that needs it the most. Please take a moment to select a toy or two to brighten the holidays for a child. Thank you. Very cool. Nice job there by Shannon on that, by the way. Give her some kudos. So absolutely. A great cause. Again, you can go right now to beyondtheblastdoors.com to find the list of items that you can buy for a kid this holiday season. And uh, uh, Pete, we just hope that uh, everyone considers giving. You know, we're not trying to pressure you, but it's a really great cause. Sure. Yep. And we have things on that wish list that are $5. We have, you know, that's a little more premium things. But look, any gift makes a big difference. We all know that. And so again, thank you for considering. And look, even if you can't, it, it, you, you can't donate, tell somebody about it. 
share it on your on your social media. Somebody somebody will pick it up. So thanks again for thinking about it. And uh, we're we're rolling. It goes only through December fourth. We have to finish by that day so that we can make sure kids get the toys in time. We already have some items collected. Frammy says it was so easy to select an item and get it shipped to the BTBD address. There's no excuse not to spare a few dollars to make Christmas a little brighter for a child who isn't fortunate. That's a great um, comment to make there. I also want to shout out um, one more. Oh, Frammy. It's Frammy too. <laughs> he says the Hyper Toy Drive is such an awesome program. Yeah, we agree. We think it's a, we think it's a great idea. Hey, so uh, be sure uh, as we continue on through the show, maybe you're encouraged to, to donate to the cause and we sure hope you do so. Also coming up later in the show, we're going to tell you how you can get your second chance to enter our BTBD giveaway. We're yeah. giving away a Star Wars Black Series snow speeder that Scotty is not eligible to win. And <laughs> it's going to be great to give this away on December 2nd on BTBD Live. So a couple weeks away, uh, get another chance this week by entering. So we'll talk about that uh, here coming up. Uh, but but folks, listen, this is why we're here tonight uh, for BTBD Live. We uh, are very thankful to be able to talk Star Wars games for the next hour. And we're going to really canvas uh, Star Wars gaming going back to the early 90s. And <laughs> so um, I'm really excited about this. And uh, well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to go ahead and start like this. The fact that uh, joining us now live on BTBD Live, episode 97, uh, we have... Mr. John Knowles, game developer and the guy that's responsible for many, many Star Wars games that we all know and love so well. John, welcome. How are you doing, sir? Great. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. I can tell. <laughs> it's, it's high energy. It's, it's, it's really high energy. Um, you know, and lots of good grammar in the comments. Like you've got a really intelligent audience, which is awesome. <laughs> in this day, we. Yeah, we, we ensure we have a, a spelling and grammar uh, <laughs> test before you can follow the show. It's, it's a little <laughs> bit oppressive, but we, we're happy. <laughs> and then there's like, we're really nice. Number 10 is one of those like open-ended ones where you can put whatever you'd like. If anything, and most people just put NA, but you know, it's, <laughs> so it's, it's really appreciated. Um, I think <laughs> the best way to really start with this is uh, the fact that we have news in star wars gaming today the fact that we now know that uh, we're gonna get a little extra holiday dlc from star wars squadrons this year yeah. right? and we're getting some new fighters and so let's just kick it off with this john are you playing the star wars squadron are you i sure am i'm playing the heck out of it i i uh i love it i i think it's great i mean i think the the team at motive montreal really nailed it you know it's 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 focused, which is important. If you want to ask me about, you know, how you become a, you know, a good game designer, you learn how to focus things. Because I've made some missteps early in my career that I wish I could uh, undo. Um, and it's just a really tight, well done uh, game. I'm having a great time. I'm playing online. I, my kill to death ratio is slightly above one, which is, you know, <laughs> I'm getting there. But you know, I'll come out of a battle, 15 kills and two deaths and then I'll come out of another one where zero kills and eight deaths. So I'm working on it. <laughs> We're going to have to get you involved in our voodoo squadrons team. We have a, we the, on the beyond the blast doors network, we've created this. Um, we have a logo and everything. And we, we tell people when we go online, we, we let them know. So people who follow all our shows can come and hang out with us and join the squadron. We'd love to have you join us. That'd be great because if you're getting 15 kills, you are much better than everybody. Oh, the, 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 tie bomber, yeah. the tie bomber and the rotary cannon. I am, I'm, I am on. 
Let's go. All right. You know what? Cancel the show. We're getting online. We're getting online. Yeah. <laughs> John, is it like a prereq? Like, if you're a game in in the gaming industry, whether you know you're in design or whatnot, like, do you also have to be able to play the game well? <laughs> I should hope so. I mean, not not necessarily, but you know, certainly if you're in game design, you should you should you should at least have some some general background and skills. I mean, honestly, we make games these days for a wider and wider you know audience, and we don't expect everybody to be a master. And a lot of people who come and work on the games aren't necessarily hardcore gamers, and that's fine too. But um, you gotta kind of know what you're playing, know what you're making. So uh, I try every game I make, I play the hell out of it. I'm still playing Forza games, you know, constantly. Okay. And 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 Squadrons is just a great way to kind of send me back to a happy place in the mid '90s, but refreshed in the modern time. So I love playing other people's games too. Yeah. You know, like I'm really excited about the Tide Defender, but I'm gonna play the hell out of that B wing. Like I'm oh. gonna be spiraling around. Yeah, well, I'm not sure how they wired it up. I mean, I remember that being a challenge for us when we were trying to figure that out. Should you do the whole rotational thing or should you just lock yeah. it? Because you got uh, it. <laughs> it sounds like a great idea, but it kind of messes with. It's inconsistent with every other fighter. So I, mm -hmm. I can imagine the the guys at Motive were like, "How are we going to do this?" So I'm curious to see how they did it. Well, Chuck, and like, you, I'm sorry, you you referenced, um, of course, Tie Fighter and X Wing, which were games that you worked on, and. Mm -hmm. This that was where I killed many many hours in the '90s, and I was so excited to uh, get in, into Squadrons because it kind of brought me back to to that time. But uh, me too. Maybe, maybe <laughs> tell us a little bit when you play Squadrons, and then you or or not even related to that Squadrons versus uh, X Wing versus Tie Fighter and those sort of things. Do you mm -hmm. see a lot of similarity? I mean, there's there's the obvious similarities, right? But do you? Does it? You, you said it kind of brings you back. What? What are your? What are your thoughts when you see a oh, yeah, modernization I mean, of that type of game? Yeah. In my well, first there's the visual and audio upgrade. I mean, it's it's state of the art. Sounds great. Looks great. Um, plays really well. You know the, but I was really curious to see whether they would get some things. Uh, you know, uh, right in in, <laughs> in my in my uh, game designer mind. You know, when it comes to inertia, right? I mean, there's something that. I love the Rogue Squadron games, but um, one thing that they never quite got right, Rogue Squadron, as you know, kind of came from the beginning of Shadows of the Empire, led to Rogue Squadron and that whole series. Fantastic series, but when you move your stick around, the ship just kind of jerked around yeah. a bit. It was super snappy, and it's really great if you're a, a Twitch gamer and everything, but inertia is one of those things that makes it feel more natural and makes it feel more star wars when you know you, you slap the stick to the right you know you, you need a little bit of slowdown you need a little bit of acceleration they nailed that that feels great um and there's other things too we had big arguments you know trying to figure out the flight model of uh of x-wing and peter lincroft um the program at the time on that he you know i wanted that i wanted the, them to you know when you when you turn to the right or you turn to the left, the, the ship banks. But you know that's how airplanes fly, right? That's right. because of atmosphere and fluid dynamics and all that aerodynamics and all that kind of stuff. But in space, you know that's not really what you get. And um, so you could either do a flat, you know, yaw when you go left and right, and the ship mm -hmm. doesn't do any banking at all, and you just do all the banking yourself by rolling with a roll button, right. or you figure out a way to kind of, I mean, I think in the original X-Wing, we had a slow barrel roll that kind of went all the way around. So you got the sense that the world was turning, but you were actually going around in a giant cylinder before you came back up to where you started. 
which is kind of weird. Um, and but it and they didn't do that in Squadrons, and I'm kind of glad they didn't. I mean, it's um, it feels right, uh, and it's it's really intuitive and fast, and I'm I'm just having a good time playing it. I think it's super cool. I'm I'm gonna be honest. I I struggle with the, with uh, with the current Star Wars Squadrons game Me too. Um, because mm-hmm. I I don't game as much as I did in years past. So and and then like Pete has a joystick, so like I can't keep up with that. Uh, <laughs> it's the know, only I, way to play it. <laughs> I haven't made that investment. I want to shout out Jared the Dark Jedi real quick for a super chat uh, for saying just dropping by to say hi to my faves Voodoo Squad for life. Can't wait to get back into Squadrons to use the Defender. And who knows, maybe John's going to be taken to the stars with us. So that'd be really exciting. Um, you know, the, the next hour is going to be a lot of fun. And I, I do not want to fail uh, to go any longer without saying the fact that John Knowles is the game developer, artist, and designer behind so many animator, behind so many Star Wars games that we know and love. And the short list on his resume does include Shadows of the Empire, Star Wars Rebel Assault, uh, two Star Wars Dark Forces, Rebel Assault, X-Wing, uh, Star Wars Racer, uh, the list goes on and on. The fact that you have a special thanks on Battlefront 2004, he's still my heart. I mean, I'm a fan. Uh, so, uh, we're Wait, you sure that about... wasn't John Knoll at ILM? We always get you mixed up. <laughs> no, you're on there. We looked. We All looked. Right. You, you cool. got you got like a handshake or something for something on that game. So, um, we're gonna kind of you know start at the very beginning. Now we're gonna kind of throw it back uh, into the 90s or so. And if before we even get the Shadows of the Empire, like how do you find yourself in the room at Lucas arts, uh, to create star Wars games. Yeah. Um, sure. That's the way back machine. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so I've been doing games for, I guess, 30 years now. Um, I, I went to art school to be in, learn how to be an illustrator. I, I loved to draw at the time. Uh, as soon as I got out of high school, I found an art school to went to the Seattle art Institute, which is no longer a thing or the, Art Institute of Seattle, studied illustration, um, industrial design. I wanted to design products, maybe cars. And I was heavily inspired by concept artists like Joe Johnston and Ralph McQuarrie and Sid Mead, obviously. So um, I kind of wanted to do that for a living. And um, uh, to make a long story short, I didn't end up in Hollywood, but um, I did did get my first game job uh, a few months after school at Taito Software, which was just hmm. outside Seattle. And if you remember them from the 80s, uh, they did a lot of stand-up arcade machines, um, Commando and 1942 and a bunch of names I, I don't remember so well. But my first game was for the Nintendo 8-bit, uh, the Nintendo NES system. It was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And that was being done by Taito for Lucasfilm Games for maybe JVC was the publisher, I think. Um, And so, you know, it was kind of funny because at art school, I used an airbrush because we didn't really, computers were, I mean, we had computers in the 80s, but, you know, there wasn't a lot of computer art programs. So I was painting with an airbrush, you know, um, old school. Um, And, uh, and didn't really have a lot of computer experience, but I could draw Harrison Ford's face like a photograph, right? That was one of my, that was one of my art school pieces. And, and I ended up drawing Harrison Ford in 8-bit for the Nintendo uh, 8-bit system. And, um, and we made that game. And as soon as we finished the game, we all got laid off. This is kind of a theme in the games industry. Um, and, uh, but it was great experience. And from that, I was able to make a VHS tape of my reel which included 
uh, all the Indiana Jones stuff plus some Jetsons and Flintstones stuff that I'd worked on that I think Taito ended up uh, shipping off to some other game developer after we got laid off. <laughs> and, um, and some other things in a FedEx envelope to Lucasfilm games because at the time one of the guys i worked with got a job there so i thought well maybe i'll just keep pounding the doors and see if i get in and they said well you can come down if you want to but you know there's a lot of people around here who want good gig too so i mean it wasn't like a professional <laughs> job interview there was no plane <laughs> ticket there was no hotel i loaded up my volkswagen beetle and i drove from seattle to san francisco and uh and interviewed you know it's a interviews were weird there was like a table of 12 people which is really um, yeah, parole board yeah no it was <laughs> it was like the star chamber and they were and they were all cool and it was all fun and i was wearing a tie this is like what an idiot yeah i had no idea that no one in game development wore a tie so it was the first thing they teased me about and um and then for the next week i guess i was tested so i i can't and this was skywalker ranch I mean, how cool was no that? Like, no I was a way. Star Wars fan at eight. You know, I loved Star Wars like anybody else. And here I am at Skywalker Ranch, interviewing for a job, mm -hmm. and they want me to prove that I'm, 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 you know, good enough to to do the job. So, for that week, I banged out a bunch of art for one of the games that they were making called Defenders of Dinatron City, which was also for the Nintendo. Mm -hmm. And and there were a couple other guys in, in my room who were working on Star Wars stuff. And that's all I wanted to do. Um, so when I got done with the Dinatron City stuff, I immediately got to work drawing Harrison Ford's face again. <laughs> <laughs> this time it's on Solo. Um, and those guys were impressed. And they were like, wow, you know, can you help us out? And so then I got to make my first Star Wars game. It wasn't my game, I, I was an artist on it. But, and it was pretty far along. Um, and it was, the programming was being done in Australia by a company called Beam Software in Melbourne. And the design was being done uh, at Skywalker Ranch, for, uh, which being done by a small team, which was the video game team. There was kind of a PC games team and a video game team. And the video game mm -hmm. team was the, the team that ultimately hired me. Um, and so that was great. Um, so it made it sleeping on my friend's floor for a week and driving <laughs> yeah, uh, to Skywalker Ranch and testing every day worthwhile when I got the gig. And so that's how I got my start. That's a long, see, it takes me a while to get there, but <laughs> no, that's how I got well, there. It's like a video you game. You're bringing us along the journey. Yeah. Yeah. How, how big were teams back then? Because now you've got teams that develop huge games that are like, you know, seven, 800 people. What is it like? What was it like then developing a game? Pretty small. I mean, you know, the, there were three artists uh, okay. at, um, at Lucasfilm Games working on Star Wars NES. Um, and all the programming and a bunch of other art and design uh, level building and things like that were being done in Melbourne. And I, I got flown to Melbourne, Australia when I was I just turned 21 or 22 years old. Wow. Um, had to run off and get a passport. Like in the same day, wow. I think I got a passport and a plane ticket back in those <laughs> And because um, I'd, I'd never really left the country before. So that was exciting. And so I, then I spent a month in Australia working with these guys at Beam who were, you know, excellent uh, team and uh, just there to touch up and fix up and polish and, and finish the game. And, and um, 
that was my my initiation into Star Wars, and then I ended up making Star Wars games for the next fourteen years. So, did you? How would you classify yourself as a fan of the franchise going into this experience? Were, were you really knowledgeable about it, or were you kind of learning as you went, as you progressed through your early years in gaming? Um, well, there wasn't a whole lot out there, honestly. I mean, you know, I, I was obviously a fan of the movies. I knew them inside and out. I had the soundtracks on LP. Oh, nice. You know, uh, you know, I probably still have them in a box in the garage. Um, so I knew all the music, you know, note by note. Um, I played the hell out of the uh, vector graphics video game. Nice. Um, yeah, that's where all my lawnmower money money went in the early eighties. Um, but honestly, video games hadn't really been on my radar. That's not where I thought I was going. Um, and then in terms of Star Wars lore and and all that stuff. I, you know, the comics in the 80s were just stupid. And um, <laughs> Jackson the Rabbit. Oh, my. Well, I mean, you know, I guess he's kind of earned a spot. You know, he's, he's, earned, he's earned a little bit of place in history. But honestly, the, there wasn't a lot out there that was great, you know. Um, and so you know, I, I love the movies. I love the, the art of Star Wars books, the art of Empire, the art of Jedi. I had all those yeah. things. Those inspired me as, an, as a young artist starting out. Um, and certainly, I'm like, as I wanted to be an industrial designer, I spent a lot of time, you know, trying to emulate the kind of work that they did. But, um, yeah, it wasn't really until I started making Star Wars games. And you can tell because the Super Star Wars, <laughs> Super Star Wars, Super Empire, Super Jedi, there's some ridiculous stuff in there that... <laughs> that just seemed like the right thing to do at the time because it's <laughs> what they do in video games. Right. But we started to take it more seriously and, 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 you know, put more thought into it. And, and, and then came, we started, you know, in the late nineties, we had a continuity editor who helped us, you know, understand the timeline, mm. how everything fits together. And so, you know, uh, it took us a while to kind of be an authentic voice for star Wars. Um, and, uh, but we all had that passion to be authentic to it, I think. Uh, yeah. Totally. When um, so how does it work with Lucas Arts at the time, and then Lucas Film when we're wanting to develop a video game? Real quick, can you give us some insight into how that relationship works? Who's pitching the concept? Who has to flush it out? How does it get into your hands so that you can bring it to the screen? Well, that that again changed over time. I mean, in the in, in the early '90s when I started there, uh, like you know, Star Wars NES was the first time Lucasfilm Games was even allowed to make a Star Wars game. Honestly, this wow. was not George Lucas's dream to create a video game company that would just continue to make games based on his hit movies. They wanted he wanted Lucasfilm Games and then later Lucas Arts to kind of be an original. Uh, source of original IP that would create something that would be really big and as successful as Star Wars that had nothing to do with the things he created. Um, and he was pretty clear about that when he did speak to us. Uh, in those <laughs> days, it was, you know, he was busy doing other things, but once in a while we'd get a visit and he'd explain his vision and it made sense. Um, but hey again, guys. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I was trying to do a really bad George Lucas. That's my fault. I'm sorry. I did really uh, it, was, it was like, um, you know, I, I want you guys to make a lot of money so that will fund the movies that I want to make. I mean, you know, he, he was kind of matter of fact, about it, but he also wanted it to be artistic and creative. And, and, and Lucasfilm Games to that point had done nothing but original stuff, right? Maniac yeah. Mansion and Zach McCracken and 
um, a ball blazer and some other stuff. And, and, and ball blazer, wow. there was, there, you know, <laughs> so the, me back. the PC team continued to do that. The video game team kind of became the team that was the first one to dive into star Wars and do star Wars games. So, and that was fun. And the super star Wars games, um, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't the the lead on those. I was the, you know, an artist and animator and designer. There were three of us at LucasArts uh, that I recall who worked on those games. And then all the programming and a lot of the other art and other work was done by sculptured software in Utah. And so, again, this is another co, uh, co-development, um, which is unusual in itself. But so it's amazing that it actually worked. We shipped a game a year. They were really good games at the time. Um, I'd like to think the, the, the review said so. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, but we would be shipping like diskettes with, you know, animated, I would animate in D paint, which was a tool everybody used back then, deluxe paint. It was a <laughs> um, tool that was owned by EA and we all used it. I don't know if we even paid for it. We just used it. <laughs> um, and I would send floppy disks of animation of Han Solo rolling underneath a, a, a walker thing on the Death Star level and send it to uh, Peter Ward, the lead programmer there, FedEx. And then, you know, in the next couple That's of wild. days, next couple of days, he'd take all my assets and program them up and we'd have a boss fight. It was unbelievable. Wow. And they would send us builds via modem, you know. That- sure. It would do the whole dial-up thing. <laughs> Three days no, later, you're ready to see it. Yeah, it wasn't all FedEx, but <laughs> it was kind of amazing that that even worked. Um, and yeah. we made we made three Super Star Wars games like that, and they got better and better and better. We really got that down, and then I think we banged out an Indiana Jones Greatest Adventures uh, game with Factor Five, who was based in Germany, doing a similar type of co-development. So um, learned a lot. Um, we, we made up a lot of goofy stuff in those games, um, um, but it was a lot of fun. And and at the same time, I, that's when I started working on X-Wing uh, like three days a week on Super Star Wars or Super Empire Strikes Back, and then two days a week on X-Wing or vice versa. And um, and that was with Larry Holland and, and his small team at another site. So I would just drive back and forth and, you know, work on both and it was it was it was made it was like from 1991 to 94 we made three super star wars games one indiana jones game um and x-wing and tie fighter um wow. and i worked on all of them and 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 that was that was a busy time but a lot of fun yeah what's that i i guess a lot of people and maybe this is my assumption game developers work on one game at a time, but having your hand in so many projects, did that ever feel overwhelming? Do you keep, how do you keep it straight? Um, no, I mean, I, it was, it, it seemed like, you know, I was just young. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't really, uh, I needed to go home and take care of my dog once in a while. Um, but uh, I'd stay pretty late and just, just keep working on it. It was kind of, it was kind of obsessive. You just want to keep making it better and better and better. But we had a lot of work to do, so it was it was also a good lesson in when to say you know enough is enough, good, move on to the next thing. Um, and and the X Wing team was also pretty small. I think there were around 20, 20 people total, but it was three artists and three pro uh, you know three programmers. I think three or four. And then two level designers and you know some audio guys and it was again a small team that just turned out a, a, an amazing amount of content. 
So were you? Would you say you were driven more by the fact that you were trying to make a great video game, or driven by the by the opportunity to create a good Star Wars game? Because I think now with Star Wars having so much peripheral content, there's content in all kinds of areas. Video games are taking uh, a much bigger role, I think, in the storytelling. Whereas back mm-hmm. when the Star Wars games you were developing, they were they were sort of adding to the Star Wars culture versus the story. So, did you yeah. were you driven to make the best SNES game at the time, or was it I want to make a great Star Wars game? Or what was you thinking? Well, if you want if you want to know what the pitch for Super Star Wars was, this was from Kalani Stryker, who was our producer. He was one of the three three people at LucasArts, uh, including me and Harrison Fong, the other artist. Um, who oh, there's there's a couple other guys too, Brett Toasty and some others. But um, his pitch was it's Contra, Super Contra meets Star Wars. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I got it. You know, side yeah. scroller shoot lots of stuff, blow lots of stuff up. And then we'd make it up. We would, on the floor, we would lay out these these levels that are 44 TV screens uh, wide wow. by doing eight by 10 drawings of each screen and Xeroxing them and taping together and, and laying them out across the floor oh. and, and just trying to decide when the player goes up, when he goes down, when That's he falls awesome. into a pit. Uh, you know, and then we'd have post-its and, and other little Xeroxes of bad guys and things like that. So we do it all on the floor on paper, and then we go wow. into our proprietary, uh, you know, SNES tools and bang out the levels. And then, you know, the sculpture guys would go and wire that all up. And then next day, <laughs> next day we'd play it. And, you know, our dev kits were these giant, um, metal boxes with blinking lights on them it was hilarious it took it was bigger than an audio receiver right it no was, way. yeah for for the snap and um and then we play it and then we give them feedback and that we just iterate on that um x-wing and tie fighters when i learned more about you know uh deep game design right and, mm-hmm. and from larry holland um and you know those games were deep they were big they were there was a lot of depth to them um and uh, I started to learn. I didn't learn enough because the first game I was lead designer on was Shadows of the Empire. And that was clearly, you know, um, in over my head, I guess is the best mm. way to describe it. Well, um, I wanted to ask you this, John. Um, one thing really interesting, because it seems like most, you know, huge gaming companies had a had like a really big change when 3D gaming came into effect, right? And like, mm. I mean, you can obviously tell everything from eight from sixteen bit to like actual polygons and everything is is a pretty impressive leap. And I yeah. don't know, I've, I've always felt like Star Wars stories got better just because of that leap alone, you know. And yeah. I mean, this will lead into the next thing. But Shadows is like this multimedia, like uh, unbelievable. Like, I, how did that undertaking even begin? Because that's such a huge thing right now because i mean high republic is the new book series right they're trying to do a multi-book thing with that but i think shadows is the original inspiration for it what what kind of kicked that off really well i i think what happened was uh as the success of star wars games meaning you know x-wing and tie fighter and the super star wars games and i think dark forces as well which that came out in 95 and that was a fantastic uh game um uh, so 95 was kind of this, this resurgence of gaming and also the Timothy Zahn books had come out. Um, yep. and so there was, a, mm-hmm. there was kind of this huge upswell in star Wars interests that was kind of dormant for a long time. I mean, it had been 20 years almost 
uh, 15 years at least since uh, the last movie had come out. And Lucasfilm licensing had been trying to think of a way to drum up excitement for the special edition versions of the movies that would start in 97. Um, and so mm -hmm. we knew about that. We knew that they were working on those. Um, and, uh, and that's where the idea of a multimedia experience um, came about. And I think we had tested the waters somewhat unsuccessfully with Defenders of Donatron City, which also had a pilot cartoon series and comic oh, books wow. and was going to have toys and, and a game. And, you know, it didn't really go anywhere, but we kind of learned from the mistakes we made there and I think uh, figured it out. Um, and so, yeah, there was a, there was a, uh, a collaboration between Dark Horse Comics and the uh, Kenner and Hasbro. And um, I, I, I don't know if it was both or one or the other at this point, I can't remember. Um, and Lucasfilm and, uh, and ILM and, and, and the novelist, Steve Perry. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everybody's throwing a bunch of ideas into a pot. And, but I think I'm the one who, who said it should probably take place between Empire and Return of the Jedi, because um, that's the most interesting time that hasn't really been explored that much. And, uh, and everybody agreed, and that's when the ideas started gelling, I guess. And, um, a lot of it was, the backbone of it was Steve Perry's novel, but um, the, the, well, I wanted to make a game about Boba Fett trying to get Han Solo to Java. Mm. And running into trouble with uh, other bounty hunters. Um, yeah, did, do I did I hear right that uh, or when I was researching a little bit, the Shadows of the Empire started out as uh, Western in your mind. It was a different oh, yeah. game completely, right? Yeah, no, I had I had already kind of burned out on Star Wars, um, and the guys that I made all the Super Star Wars games with left to go start their own company. Um, so I was kind of the last guy standing, <laughs> and. Mm -hmm. uh, I got tapped, you know, they said, Hey, could you lead the next project? And we got, you know, there's this uh, project reality, which was the N64's code name. Mm. Um, we'd like to you to lead a game for it. Can you do that? Um, I said, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, why not? Yeah. I've been a lead artist and a lead animator for a while. I can certainly be a project leader. That can't be that hard. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, but we hired a couple uh, guy, three guys from Spectrum Holobyte, and uh, all of us kind of co-led the project uh, together, uh, Shadows of the Empire. And we wanted to do a Western at first and was kicking around ideas. And it was quickly became apparent that that's pointless. We should be doing a, a Star Wars game for the launch of this new system. That's what Nintendo would be excited about. Right. Yeah. Um, but it also came with some rules, right? We we couldn't use any. We had that. We had to have a character that was exclusive to Nintendo that the player would play. So there went my Boba Fett game idea. Um, yeah. So we needed a new character. Meanwhile. Uh, Steve Perry's novel, he needed somebody to kind of fill in Han Solo's gap because Han Solo's frozen at this point. Mm -hmm. And so he came up with a, a character, Dash Rendar, and uh, that became the guy that we chose to be the player's avatar. So yeah. that's, and, that's amazing. And you, you ended up being the, the face of Dash Rendar for some of the some of the, the the creative that went along with that, right? Uh, no, I think that's a misconception. I, oh. I think I saw that on Wikipedia somewhere. I think <laughs> you know, we hired a we hired a model whose name was Jeb, um, and he did a lot of posing for uh, our storyboard artist Paul Topolos, um, and uh, and uh, he was great. He he banged out all kinds of uh, great storyboards. That, um, you know, I would then use to do all the cinematic work for the game. Mm. Um, but Jeb was a really young guy. 
And um, Dash needed to be somewhat older, so I spent a lot of time working up what he should look like. So I drew a sketch of the face of Dash Rendar that was looked a little bit like Jeb, except he probably bit aged up 15 years. <laughs> and and then that I ended up making a texture and slapping it onto a tiny little you know 150 polygon human or whatever <laughs> we had at the time that you couldn't have a texture larger than 32 pixels by 64 pixels or something like that. I mean, it was, it was stupid. I mean, the, <laughs> it was an amazing machine. Don't get me wrong. But once you really started to try to do the thing you wanted to do, just like we always do, you ran in, you ran headlong into the limitations of the hardware. And, you know, one of the lessons learned from Jazz the Empire was you shouldn't try to, to design a visual look and feel for a system that wasn't designed for that. Um, it was designed for games like Mario 64. Yeah. It was designed for games like Pilot Wings. Bright colors, simple shapes. Um, don't try to do photorealism and things like that. But all of us were trying to do games like Dark Forces on a console because we knew that would blow people away. Mm -hmm. um, Can you talk hard. about how, like, I think I heard you in one interview explain, like, creating a game in this world it's not like today where it's open world and you can kind of move the camera wherever you want in this you know in this environment you talked about how it's like a block that you have to chisel through which is why there's always a hallway can you kind of elaborate that yeah i think this goes back to the days of uh, early first person shooters where you weren't building a world out of geometry in a 3d um, tool you were using mm -hmm. a very early version of the autocad uh, or autocad like system and it's negative space modeling. So you're actually starting out with a, it is like chiseling uh, an interior space out of a block, right? And then slapping some textures on it, things like that. And through a bunch of uh, cleverness, you know, uh, programmers figured out a way to make it look more vast. And Dark Forces was, uh, looked a lot more open and big mm. than, than Doom, uh, uh, you know, which had came out come out before it um, and and when we finally got to Shadows of the Empire we were able to actually start modeling real spaces in 3D. It was a kind of a combination of the two because I had the level designers from Dark Forces who were still using that tool but they also had the ability to start building uh, positive 3D space if, if you will where you can build canyons and you could build uh, buildings and things like that and stick them in an environment and I don't know how our engineers did it. Those guys are good. <laughs> you know, so I was gonna have Pete ask the next question. So Pete, you can you can have you can do Framie's question in just a minute, but I, sure. I want to make sure we address this. Andy is one of our hosts of Hollow Chronicles on the network here. They talk Star Wars collectibles. They're they're great guys, and 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 Andy is fantastic. And I want you to know that he named his son Dash, and a lot of people <laughs> think it's Dash from the Incredibles. <laughs> uh, and other characters in in fiction, but it is Dash Rendar, and I'd be kind of curious. I mean, how do you react to that when you hear, you know, Andy's story? Is is have you heard similar stories over your yeah, career? The impact no, that your games have made. I mean, well, I I have friends whose you know whose kids are named you know after Star Wars characters or the actors mm -hmm. who played them, and and uh, I totally I totally get that. Um, <laughs> and it's one of those things where, you know, I, I can make fun of Shadow of the Empire as an amateur effort by a bunch of passionate people who were on the cutting edge of technology and didn't really know what to do with it. Um, <laughs> that's kind of how I, I view that game now. And uh, it didn't really age well. But I also have to remember that 
when you were a kid and that was your first video game, um, you know, that was probably a mind blowing experience and it probably did have a, play an important role in your life. And I, I kind of remember this when we were doing the SNES games, we would go to the mall. The mall was the place where you went to go buy video <laughs> games. Um, and there would always be a kiosk there where they'd have a, a machine and we would show up with an unfinished version of the latest EEPROM. So the thing that's inside the cartridge, no you, know, way. you pull the cartridge apart, there's a little green card. Yeah. Oh, boy. Chips yeah. On it. We yeah. would go and we would just go talk to the guys at the kiosk. Go, hey, the latest uh, Super Star Wars sequel we're doing. That's wild. And we and he'd be like, "Oh yeah, come on!" And we'd pop <laughs> it in there, and then the, all these kids would line up, and then that was our what? sort of impromptu way of of product <laughs> testing or focus testing. We would see where they were getting frustrated, what they liked, um, and there'd be this long line of kids. <laughs> and that's amazing. And uh, I have to remember that uh, we that's the kind of way that uh, you know when you're making it a video game you know for all the reasons you you think you're making it for yourself or for fans or whatever you, it's ultimately going to the hands of people who will who will appreciate it uh, on a different level right Man. they're not behind the curtain making it that'd be a lot of NDAs, you know like don't tell me <laughs> and i'm sure back in the day you didn't have to make them sign a contract I mean, yeah it was totally <laughs> informal it was probably against all the rules, you know, but, uh, and I, th I think that was Kalani's idea. He thought it would be our, our producer. He just thought it would be fun. That's, that's <laughs> so great. Cause like, imagine the kid coming to school the next day. I played the new Star Wars game and no one believes. Well, it was before the internet had, had reached the levels of where it is now. You couldn't even like tweet about it. You could just have oh, yeah, to, you know, your friends BBS, might have to believe. It was only BBS boards at the time. That's, I think. Wow. <laughs> I hope someone right now is watching going, wait, wait a minute. I remember playing this in a mall. No one believes me. <laughs> Finally proved 25 years later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, Pete, I think we have a live chat question from Frammy. Yeah, there was a question. So Frammy is a, a, a regular follower, a devotee of the group. We're very thankful to hang out with us every week. But uh, they, they say, what are the chances of Disney resurrecting LucasArts or an alternative to relying on licensing game developers. And I'll add to that, maybe if you could talk a little bit about, yes, what are the chances of that happening? And which probably not great at this moment, but um, how does that also change the way a, a franchise game is created? Huh? Well, good question. I mean, right now, you know, it's, it seems like it's an exclusive with EA through Disney slash Luke. I don't even know how that whole relationship works. I know that yeah. Disney acquired Lucasfilm. There's still some Lucasfilm people. There's even still, a, there's now a, a Lucasfilm games. I think I'm just, I'm, I haven't been part of this since 2004. So I'm, I'm just, I'm just as in the dark as everybody else on mm. the, the uh, mechanics of it. Um, I just know that at the time when we were at LucasArts, we had first right of refusal, <clears throat> meaning um, there were a lot of other companies that wanted to make Star Wars games. EA was one of them. Activision was one of them. There were some other ones. And and um, <clears throat> we always got to, as a company, say, um, no, we're going to do that you know, mm. uh, first. Uh, I think the first big breakthrough was Lego Star Wars uh, mm. in 2003-ish, <clears throat> something like that. Um, and uh, it was shocking, like how good that was. It was so shocking that it made us, those of us who were working on the Revenge of the Sith, play the movie game because we had, <laughs> you know, twelve months to make an Episode Three game. 
and and George told me I could not make the Darth Vader kicks ass game. You have to do something else. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. There's a there's that's a, interesting. There's a, there's a story about that. <clears throat> we were so going. You to wrote make... the original ending to Rogue One. <laughs> so true story on the set of revenge of the sith in sydney australia oh. my uh art director and i um ian millam and i were were uh able to go down there and visit them the week that they were doing the final duel and i was right. sitting in a room with john knoll from ilm sitting you know in front of me and a couple of guys from ilm working with him and george would be sitting right next to him and then we'd all be talking about all the things that we think would be really cool and and at the time, our our thinking was, well, we don't want to do another play the movie game. We got so burned mm -hmm. doing that in episode one. Uh, I avoided it in episode two with Bounty Hunter. Didn't want to do it in episode three. So we wanted to do the game where you do a little bit of Anakin turning bad, and then the rest of it is Vader hunting down the Jedi and destroying them all. And it's the ultimate bad guy game. Mm -hmm. And that's what we pitched. And George Lucas said, that's not my movie. Um, and... Uh, my movie's a tragedy. It's about how he's a weakling. And um, you can go and make the ultimate Vader villain game, and that would be amazing, but it can't have anything to do with my movie. Uh, and so I'm, I'm stuck in this situation where I've got, you know, the whole machinery of LucasArts games and Lucasfilm licensing going, we have to make the Revenge of the Sith movie. It's going to be the biggest movie of all time. you got to make a game of the movie. Um, or a game that's tied to the movie. And we were going to make the game called Darth Vader. And the team was so excited about it. And it was going to be awesome. And it was going to have some parts of the movie. But it was going to end with the opening that is basically just like the opening of Rogue One. You know, the what? Uh, as a bonus, as a bonus mission. Years oh later, you, you were going to Oh, that's you were, wild. And you were gonna fight Obi-Wan, which I think actually did end up in the game as a bonus, a bonus fight. Oh. Um, but Obi-Wan in on the Death Star, mm -hmm. and uh, but again, yeah, George expressed his um, his uh, thoughts on that, and uh, we were like, okay, we'll go back and rework it. And we hmm. came back months later with a slightly reworked plan that had more Episode Three in it and less Vader kicks ass, but it still had Vader kicks ass. And he said, um, "I'm not sure you heard me clearly uh, the last time we met." <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, so that's when I had to reach into my pocket and pull out the plan B, play the movie game, and mm. um, which was really depressing. Uh, but at the yeah. same time, it it kind of released this huge pressure that the team had been feeling because they all knew it, you always want to know what you're making, you know. Right. And if there's ever any uncertainty about whether you're going to be allowed to do the thing you want to do, um, it just drags everything down. So once that you know weight was lifted banged out a really great episode three play the movie game with the collective doing um, a lot of the, the heavy lifting there, um, which is a studio down in Southern California. I remember just losing my mind over the revenge of the Sith game because you had a great level there with Syndralic who I was a big fan of, of Nick Gilliard who was doing all the, the, the saber choreography yeah. or the prequels. And I just, I was so appreciative <laughs> Of that, because even in 2004, 2005, I'm investing a lot of time in Star Wars. So, like, the <laughs> fact that that was a thing, Syndralic was in the game, was so cool. And then the alternate ending option for the game, I thought oh, it was yeah. a really fun experience. Oh, that was, yeah, that was the the cut, Vader. You know, that was going to be the, the bonus ending at the end. But the fun thing about um, Nick Gillard 
great guy, awesome guy, and Hayden Christensen's great too. And when we were on the set of the of the movies, I would catch them during the breaks um, and just start talking to them and saying, "God, I wish we could get some some of your expertise to help out make." Because at that point, we had only made lightsaber combat the way we thought you should, mm. and we were just making stuff up. And uh, he's the guy who basically invented it. And mm. um, and I, I don't have time to train you guys, but there's effectively nine positions. Uh, <laughs> nine positions. I'll hold my TV remote. Nine I positions. Time. <laughs> this is one. This position one, two, three, four. Well, I can't remember. One, two, three, four, five, six, hanging six. And there, there's like nine positions. So once you know all those, and that's a dance move and it's choreography, and you can attack kind of any way you want, but all defenses are based on those nine moves. No. Wow, that's mind blowing. Could you? Can I get yeah. you guys to come out to California and teach our team how to do this? And he says, "Absolutely. All I need is some in and out burgers, mate." Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> Nick Gillard and Hayden Christensen both came out to uh, visit us um, in San Rafael, California, and on a soundstage at ILM, and work with our team of animators, <clears throat> the guys from LucasArts and the guys from the Collective. And they, the guys from the Collective are awesome. I mean, they they did the Buffy game, Buffy mm. the Vampire Slayer game. Yeah. It's the Buffy engine. Yeah. was So they already had a great combat engine, and they had a great uh, combat designers and great animators. But I just wanted to make sure that if we're going to make the ultimate lightsaber you know, combat game, uh, which was what it was at the time, or what we thought it would be, um, that we had some authentic training. So for a week, Hayden Christensen and Nick Gillard taught the animation team how you move a lightsaber, how you swing it, how you hold it. Like you never hold it, yeah, like like behind your head like a baseball bat. That's stupid. Someone's going to kill you. You hold your <laughs> lightsaber between you and the guy who's trying to kill you. Um, but when it comes to attack, then you can do some fun stuff. Anyway, that's like the best day at work. I can't tell you how many times I've wished oh, that my awesome. boss would. My boss would hand me like a wiffle bat and be like, "Hey, listen, hit position six for me, will ya?" I'd be like, <laughs> and "We had, we had In and Out burgers on the table as we were doing it, which you know I miss these those terribly because they don't have those here in Washington State, but um, that was kind of our food for the week. <laughs> that that's so cool because I don't know. It seems like now to be on the Star Wars set, you would literally have to like, you know either go through maximum security or anything like that. Was it like that back in the day, honestly? Or well, was I mean, it... we, we did have special, you know, uh, privilege to, you know, to be there. And, and actually the hotel they put me at was, I was in the same room that Christopher Lee had been in the week before, which was. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So cool. Um, and it was a great trip. Um, even though, you know, I would be, you know, part of a big layoff you know, several months later before that game was even finished. Um, mm -hmm. That was a high point, you know, was that, that yeah. trip. And, um, you know, we were there for a reason to soak in all the stuff, to get lots of reference, to learn a lot. But I, that was an unexpected outcome. Like uh, it was, it was great that, that we were able to set that up. But I think, you know, if you go back and play that game now, you know, like a lot of play the movie games, it had its faults and, probably landed somewhere in the sixties Metacritic, like a lot of movie <laughs> games did, but, um, and there was the fundamental problem where you have this deadly weapon that cuts through anything. You can't really do that in a video game. So it ends up being a baseball yeah. bat. <laughs> you, end up, <laughs> you end up whacking, whacking each other back and forth a few times, oh, 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 getting hit with a lightsaber. Um, when, 
that's not what would really happen. But there was some mm -hmm. great moments in there. And I think uh, given the fact that the, the collective finished that game even after half of the team got laid off because half the team was at LucasArts, half the team was at Collective, all of us who were working on it at LucasArts got the boot um, halfway, more than halfway through development. And the collective mm -hmm. had to finish it without changing a, a deadline. Um, and they did it, and it was a, and it, you know, sold a bajillion units and did what a movie game is supposed to do. So that worked out. That's awesome. That's that's crazy. You know, if we can, because uh, this is, we're going to jump, I guess, in the timeline, so to say. I guess that's allowable. Uh, sure. It's our show. We can do whatever the hell we want, right? Star Wars does it all the time. Why can't this? We? <laughs> I'm really excited about this next part of the conversation because I think, especially Scotty's going to really enjoy this. Um, this is the game that I grew up when it came to um, Star Wars and um, Star Wars gaming, and that was Star Wars Racer. Um, and to be honest, I think I played this illegally because I had the N64 emulator for my laptop in 2004. And so that's how I got introduced to this game. But can we, can we just start, John, with what the, how does the concept pitch happen? Because this is very different. I mean, obviously, we still kind of have this like textured environment, but this is quite a leap in Star Wars storytelling and, and gaming. Yeah, well, there wasn't much storytelling to it. I mean, I think mm -hmm. I think uh, we when we were finishing up the PC version of Shadows of the Empire, so we were doing uh, upgraded cinematics, FMV sequence, full motion video sequences, and stuff like that. We were invited to Skywalker Ranch, which we were no longer working on. We were working in a different building, but we always had access to it. But we were invited to the concept art room. Uh, where they were working on um, prequels, and you know George was explaining his his ideas behind uh, what episode. It was all very top secret, but we we had clearance, and uh, and I got to see the concept art that Doug Chang had done, um, and all the <laughs> other concept artists had done for the whole movie. But the one that our eyes went to immediately was the the pod racing sequence, and thought, well, clearly you know, it, hmm. there's a game there. And the way George described it, it was going to be as important to this movie as the snow battle was to the Empire Strikes Back or the trench battle was to Star Wars. It's the big center action piece of the film. Um, and so we said, wow, Star Wars racing game, that's weird. Um, mm -hmm. But I get it. And I think as long as we uh, can do it justice, um, and it was the same core team that had done Shadows of the Empire, and uh, we had come out of the, that game with a lesson that you should never make six games in one again. You should just do one thing and do the hell out of it. And so we decided we would make a game about eye peeling speed. Um, and, uh, and that's what that was kind of the pitch, I guess. But I think the things that were inspiring to me at the time were games like Beetle Adventure Racing on the N64. Hmm. And uh, Top Gear Overdrive, which is, I think, a game by Boss Studio, which had made the environment kind of a centerpiece. Um, it felt like an adventure game at speed. And, you know, instead of, except instead of going at 100 miles an hour, we were going to go three, four, maybe even 600 miles an hour scale speeds. So uh, we'd have to stretch the world out. Um, but uh, that was the pitch, uh, I think. I, I think we were smart to just keep it focused. We spent a lot of time nailing the controls and the feel of it. Um, and just getting the, the right scale. The, the first time I built the Tatooine track, it was, mm -hmm. I think, 
75% larger than what you're actually playing now. And it was really? boring. It took like 10 minutes to do a lap. Yeah. Um, no, and that was one of my questions because I'd imagine you worked on a lot of a lot of the tracks, right? And and the Tatooine one, like you kind of had to pick and choose the, the flavor you wanted to add to each one of them. And of course, like I believe Qui-Gon has a line that he saw a pod race on Malastare, pretty sure. Yeah. And like Something like I'm like Malastare's one of the planets, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Uvo yeah. Four. Did you come up with that one? Because yeah, that I mean, one showed up back in Bounty Hunter, which I think well, is really Bounty Hunter came. Bounty Hunter came later. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Uvo Four. I'm pretty sure I made that up. Uvo That's egg, so egg, sick. egg, egg shaped asteroid, asteroid prison. Yeah. I was always a fan of the Han Solo adventure books by Brian Daly, and he one of uh, the first one was called Han Solo at Star's End. Um, mm -hmm. Star's End was a prison. Um, I think on an asteroid. And so that was just a thing that I like to carry forward. Mm -hmm. um, and so Uvo 4 became an asteroid prison. And then that was something I revisited later in Bounty Hunter. Yeah. Ando Prime. Ando Prime. Ando Prime. I just made that up. Barunda. I made that up. Malastare came from the movie. <laughs> we didn't know what Malastare was supposed to look like. But I guess we just chose kind of a rock. No, they. Funny yeah, enough, now I don't know if you watch any of the Clone Wars, but they had that green smoke. They all, yeah. yeah, like the green, the green smoke on Malister. Okay, oh, right. that actually shows back up in the Clone Wars episode with the big Zillow beast. So, <laughs> oh, okay, so there's you, some yeah. Well, but there. what's funny is later on you learn that you know I think in Bounty Hunter Malister is another place we revisited, but we focused mm -hmm. it on a jungle. Uh, yeah, you know, like a drug factory in a jungle. Yeah, because that's where drug factories are, I guess. And um, <laughs> but it also seemed like a natural place for the Sebulba species, the Dugs. It seemed they seemed to be like you know a creature that would live in a jungle. And so I think mm -hmm. we ended up working with Lucasfilm licensing. The 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 fiction is you know there's one part of the planet and one part of some hemisphere that's really rocky and dangerous and gaseous, and there's another part that's you know kind of jungly, which is unusual because in Star Wars the whole planet is an ice planet <laughs> it's, or it's a dust planet, one ecosystem, or a junkyard planet, <laughs> or a lava planet. And we used to laugh about this all the time, but we ended up doing it. <laughs> that's so awesome. Like Earth has all kinds of different, you know topographies and geographies and there's climates and you know i there's got to be places in star wars where you have multiple you know climates john i gotta yeah. ask when you have this you're developing this game and I, I should have said this more accurately it's not advancing star wars storytelling but it's the way in which you can present that star wars experience in gaming what's yeah. the excitement though um, around this time because we are getting Star Wars movies after so many years gone by. LucasArts really fills the void, right? Because we didn't have those stories. Was there excitement? Did you feel like, wow, we really carried the franchise and now we're going to get a new story? What was that excitement level like? Well, the honest truth of it was, yeah, we went into it super excited. And then we came out of episode one in a whole different mind space. Uh, hmm. Just like the audiences, right? Uh, mm -hmm. It it was, you know, everyone was excited, right? There was a team that was working on a an Obi Wan game, and there were, I think there were six games in development. So it was a total shotgun approach. Like we're gonna we're gonna just take advantage of this episode one's gonna be the biggest movie of all time. I'm just glad that I chose the game that was gonna be the smallest piece that wasn't dependent sure. on anything in the movie except this one scene. I knew they would never cut. They cut it way down. Um, cause it used to be a half an hour in the original cut, but, um, 
that was a piece I knew would survive. And if we just could focus on that, we wouldn't get dragged down in any of this other stuff. Um, and I think what ended up happening is, you know, the more and more you're behind the curtain, the more you're seeing the dailies, the more you're hearing the dialogue. Oh, there's some Peter Chan concept art. I was yeah, I so, so lucky to get him to, uh, to do some concept art mm -hmm. for us. I do this professionally um, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, he uh, normally just does black and white. That's I mean, he still works on movies. Uh, he's somewhere off in the San Juan Islands out here in the Northwest, and and um, but at the time, you know, he he didn't work at Lucas. He was he was a uh, self-employed, um, but uh, he obliged me when I said, "Could you could you do me some color paintings?" Because we really need to figure out the lighting and the the colors of this 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 game we're doing. And he said, "Well, I I don't really do that, but I'll do it for you, John." Because we what? go way back. I think we both started working the same day together at Skywalker Ranch. And so, no way. Um, so he banged out these paintings uh, that are very reminiscent of the kind of uh, stuff you'd see Ralph McQuarrie do. But That's what I was going to say. It's got a Ralph McQuarrie feel, and it's crazy. He, like, really nailed that aesthetic more than most concept artists can. Like, I, I'm just really impressed because the game actually ended up looking like this in terms of, like, aesthetic, right? That y'all, y'all. Well, as much somehow. as you could with three thousand polygons per frame, exactly. your total budget, <laughs> and the mass, and the biggest texture you could actually apply to any given surface was thirty-two by sixty-four, or something like that. Yeah. But, but yeah, no. And what was fun too is we had just met Ralph McQuarrie. Uh, you know, uh, one of the other cool privileges of working in the Lucasfilm. ILM LucasArts family at the time was you get visiting guests. Sid Mead came and spoke uh, at ILM and that was, you know, amazing. Mm. And Ralph McCory came and spoke and he was walking around the studio, shaking hands with us, um, autographing my, you know, my, my little, you know, I bought the Ralph McCory, you know, portfolio of paintings. Yeah, when, uh -huh. I mean, they were all dog-eared and beat up, but he, he signed <laughs> a couple for me. And, uh, and I, and Peter was uh, very inspired by that, I think, and just wanted to see if he could try to do something like that. So it was perfect timing, um, and 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 I loved what he did. And and you can see bits and pieces of this in the in the game that we made as as best we could, you know, mm. emulate that in the limitations we had. It's just What's... such a, I don't know, a time. I, I you you really were working for them during a very pivotal time where things could have gone really bad or really well. And it seems like they've gone really well in terms of the success of most of these games. And with the impression they laid on, they left on me and my generation, you know, cause I was, dude, I was five when all this was coming out. I was the <laughs> perfect age for all of this. So, yeah, it's so those just... of us who were eight to 10 years old, when the first Star Wars came out, I think we, we started to feel like we were, you know, the, uh, the prequels were missing the mark. Um, mm, so yeah. we were, we started to feel jaded and, and, and didn't really get it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and there was, and then it was some backlash, you know, the, the mixed reviews from the movies, um, you know, that stung everybody who worked on them. And, mm. and, uh, and I think when you're, when we're working on those games, I think we also felt that backlash. And so when this talk of episode two, we're like, no, no, we're not doing any, any episode two mm. games. Forget mm -hmm. it. And that was actually the first time I started working on something original. Um, and there was an unshipped project codenamed Sawyer, which was a, well, if you watch um, uh, Stranger Things, it's like the creators of that show 
were thinking the same thing we were thinking. We were trying to do a throwback to the early 80s, the Goonies, mm -hmm. Explorers, um, all that stuff. Time travel, kids saving the world from aliens, all this fun stuff. That's awesome. Um, and we were pretty far into it <clears throat> when you know, the head of LucasArts says, John, I need you to do an episode two game. Mm. <sighs> yeah. All right. But I will not do a game of the movie. I get to, I get to do something original. Are we okay with that? I was like, yes, we're okay with that. And it's not going to come out with the movie because we don't have time. Like we'd already, we'd already left that window. And, um, and it's like, well, it has to come out with the DVD. That gives us 18 months. All right, mm -hmm. fine. <laughs> um, so that's how, you know, Bounty Hunter came about was, uh, this idea to, to, it, it begrudgingly pulled me back in, but it was again, a chance to play with Boba Fett, even if it's Django Fett mm -hmm. in a, in a world that I really enjoyed playing in, even if it was the prequels world, I didn't have to focus on the story of the movie, didn't have to focus on the, you know, <clears throat> all that stuff. I could just go into the CD underbelly of Star Wars again, which is where I wanted Shadows to take place, right? Yeah. Um, and Django's just a dude, you know, doing his job. <clears throat> and also answer the questions that the movie posed, which was, you know, why did they choose Django Fett to be the template for the clone army? And why did he end up with a, a clone of himself as a son? I was going to ask you that. Okay, so how much of you had cr creative uh, control of that? That's a big thing to to be tasked I had, with. I had total creative control. Holy um, cow, although it, it came it came with some rules, which was, you know, uh, this whole this is a world that George is still making uh, making yeah. up, right? And so uh, it had to get through him. Um, and so mm -hmm. I was told, you know, the best way to do this since he's really busy is uh, write down some questions, 10 or 15 questions, um, send them an inner office mail, which is scary. <laughs> like the first, you know, we all had inner office mail envelopes, these these manila envelopes, <laughs> and you'd write down the, the nickname or the address of the person you send it to. And I wrote GWL. And when you write GWL, George Walton Lucas, um, <laughs> it's going to him. Of course, it's going to his, you know, his secretary or his administrative assistant, and then it's going to him. So I wanted to be very careful <laughs> about what, what I put down there, but I had yeah. uh, 10, or, 10 or 15 questions in there that um, he would answer yes or no to. That that was the best way for him to do it. Do you remember wow. anything that was on that list? Oh, I remember most of them. Um, can I explain oh. the origins of the Slave One? Can I explain uh, why Django wanted a son? Can I give uh, Django a um, Toydarian a handler because we'd already come yep. up with like a female Watto to be mm -hmm. to be kind of his because Django doesn't express his doubts or fears because uh, he's just a badass so you need somebody else to do that for him if you want to have <laughs> that hero journey where you know he, he can't be like Luke and go oh I can never be a Jedi I need to get home <laughs> um, <laughs> you know Django 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 can't be God I can't go after a deranged Jedi that's too dangerous I might die yeah. Um, yeah. so you need you need somebody to do that for him so. That's where Rosada came from, um, and uh, and there's some other questions like that. And then one of the questions was, um, could I uh, could I explore Death Sticks as kind of a you know a, a MacGuffin for you know uh, <laughs> the seedy underbelly of Star Wars? And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. But <laughs> one of the things I asked was, can I make this about revenge? Um, and that's when George actually didn't just write yes or no; he wrote in the margins. Mm. And he said, um, keep it about the money, um, which mm. I thought was amazing feedback. It, <laughs> it kind of brought yeah. me back to, um, 
he's a bounty hunter. He yeah. does this for money. And when I when I asked, uh, can I explain why Django wanted a son? And I posed some some thoughts of my own about that. Like maybe something happened when he was a kid and you know, he wanted to make up for it or whatever. And he said, Hey, Django's, um, you know, he's a, he's a mercenary. I, he wrote longhand again. I can't remember word for word what it was, but he's a mercenary, but he loves his son just like anybody else. Right. Wow. Um, you know, uh, so he's sentimental. Um, yeah. And, and I thought that was good because it made me think of Django is not a villain, right? He is a villain in the movie that that is his only purpose and he dies <laughs> for that. Mm-hmm. But in our game, he was the hero. And so for him, uh, Boba was the, the ultimate treasure, you know, the, the thing that he didn't know he wanted, but he's a, he's a guy with a dangerous life. He's got all this money that he's making, but what's it all for at the end of the day? And I think George was saying that he wants to pass on a legacy just like anybody else. Uh, and that's where Boba came from. And so that was, when I got that feedback, I just started writing the story. Oh, it's um, so awesome. And, uh, and then I got to work with ILM closely. It's not the first time we worked with ILM. There was a lot of back and forth working on episode one racer where I would take the cartridge over to John Knoll at ILM. <laughs> and, I'd say, and I'd say, hey, John, we got a version of the game. Um, let's check it out. Let us know what you think. And he'd play it and he'd, he'd see the, the flaps moving open and close on the Anakin's pod racer. And he goes, wow, I didn't realize you guys would think of it that way. You know, we were going to think of it another way. And so wow. for them, for them, it was fun to see the problems we were trying to solve in gameplay would affect how they did things in the, uh, in the movie um, where the, you know, the pod didn't just swing around like a thing at the end of a string. It yeah. led, it led the engines because yeah. you're driving the engine. So like a you move, yeah, you move first. Well, the horses actually moved the chariot first. Chariot didn't steer, but in our game, when you when you crank the stick, you see a flap open up. The pod starts to torque to Shift. the right, and then the mm-hmm. engines, you know, go with it and point in that <laughs> way. And that we had to figure that out all in the game before they did it in the movie, and I think it was helpful to them. Um, so when I got wow. a chance to, uh, when we were going to do cinematics for Bounty Hunter, the team that had just done The Incredible Hulk. I think the first, not the Incredible Hulk, but Hulk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they were kind of left at a position where they'd either be laid off, a lot of them, because there wasn't another project coming, or um, we'd get to give them some work to do and we'd get a deal. And George actually made it um, clear that it should be like ILM can't charge us what they would charge other people. He's like, <laughs> yeah. he's like hey, I set you guys up for a reason. So we got a great deal out of it. I mean, it, it's, it was expensive, but it wasn't anywhere near as expensive as it would have been if we were some other company. Um, and that's because it was keeping it in the family and keeping these people working so that they would be able to go on to the next film. Mm-hmm. And so it was great. I got a, we got a lot of people who had never done, ILM had never done a full animated feature before. It had only been mm-hmm. CG on uh, live action plates. Like, mm-hmm. so Bounty Hunter was, I, I believe, literally the first project ILM ever did that was all animation. Oh, that's right. so cool. So the cinematics are so good. They really they are. Were, they were great. And it was, it was fun because when I got called into dailies, which is, I used to observe this when we were invited to dailies and for the prequels and George and John Knoll and all these other people would be sitting around and talking about things and you just silent, you just be silent and take it in. 
um, then I got to be the director in the chair. And everybody's looking at me like, hey, what do you think, John? I was like, well, it's <laughs> really cool. <laughs> yeah. like, there, I, I wish I could be more, uh, you know, provide more critique, but everything they did was, was amazing. And then I got Tamira Morrison and Clancy Brown mm. to do the voice and, um, and uh, Lucille Bliss to be uh, Rosada. I mean, she was Mighty Mouse in the 50s. Right. I mean, this yeah. is legend. And Smurf, Mama Smurf, or... So, uh, Smurfette, sorry. Um, <laughs> and that was fun um, because uh, and I, I, I kind of wish that, you know, we had ironed out some issues with the gameplay, the camera specifically, but, but as a piece of um, standalone Star Wars lore and story, I, it, I, I was grateful that George allowed me to, that was another question I'd asked him was, can I apply some of the now defunct Boba legends? And Mandalorian lore and all that stuff oh. onto onto Jango Fett, and he said absolutely. So, um, and I know they've since thrown all that out and called it not canon, but at the time it was fun to be able to to just come up with just to resurrect some of those ideas. Yeah, it's it's wild, and it it what you may find interesting is that my eight year old son who plays PlayStation four and is, is hoping that PS five shows up under the tree this year for Christmas for him. He took to when they did the, the remaster, the reissued version of bounty hunter, mm -hmm. he took to that game and he played it from beginning to end. Like he fell in love with that game. So a, an eight year old in 2020 is still playing that game. It's still one of the, you know, it's, it's still, it that, still works. That, painful camera though doesn't it? <laughs> I just it's just like all the all the games I've worked on there's like one or two things about them I just wish I could go back and change and we did change it if you have the Japanese version of that game it's called Star Wars Django Fett for the yes. two um that version of the game and it only works uh, yeah I, I don't know how you get your hands on it but uh we found a bug in the camera code that made the camera just way too twitchy and springy and it would just multiply the effect and we were afraid to change it so late but and in japan um we were advised that you know that as a culture they really really have a problem with um, twitchy cameras i mean we should have the same problem with it too but right. they really didn't want us to ship that game unless we fixed it so we did and that shipped a little bit later oh, yeah. and the gamecube version i think tamed it a little bit as well but the uh yeah, the Japanese version um, will not uh, cause you so much grief, <laughs> I think, with the camera. I well, it's a, a great game. Yeah, it's a, it's a consistent fan favorite. What I guess a, a good question is we, we've now taken up an hour and 20 minutes of your life. Um, what, what, what would you, what's your favorite game of the games that you worked on? What's the one that you're most proud of? What's the one that you... You know, you look at and that's the. I one. don't know. That's tough. That's like what your children do love the best, right? It's um, you know. I can tell you which one Pete loves more. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> that's funny. No, I mean, I I look back with tremendous pride at X Wing and Tie Fighter. I mean, those were Larry Holland's games. I was just privileged to be part of the team that 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 worked on those. But I, I feel like we really made a mark, and they've stood mm. the test of time, particularly Tie Fighter. Um that's really stood the test of time and, and, uh, and it's great. You know, I, the squadrons, uh, team have, have said that, you know, that those games, uh, partially inspired them. And I, I love it. I just love that that carries on. And, you know, all these years later, people still want to 
play that fantasy that's cool um i think now that when mandalorian came out i mean honestly my i my love of star wars took a, a bit of a pummeling after the prequels and after being laid off i just didn't give a damn anymore mm -hmm. and um i get that and my daughters or my my nephews would would say hey john have you you know have you seen the um the new such and such clone wars episode no i don't care Go <laughs> um, and then rogue one came out and uh it it just like okay i'm back like mm. um john Knoll uh <laughs> from ilm he, he put together that movie um he he kind of uh restarted my my love of star wars right and then solo came out and and i absolutely i absolutely love that movie and i think if brian daly the novelist of the Han solo mm. novels yeah. had been alive to see it he would have been overjoyed because it was it reminded me of the tone that and i spoke with brian daly that's one of the another fun memory i have of my my early 90s days mid 90s days before he died uh, about making a, a han solo game and so seeing that movie was another shot in the arm for my star wars fanboyism and the new movies the sequels yeah kind of but i it's kind of it's for another generation i think mm -hmm. right so when mandalorian comes out it's full on fanboy comes out it's yeah. bounty hunter <laughs> <laughs> and super talented people uh and honestly the the art director on star wars bounty hunter is involved in this project as well uh, wow and mm, so uh, yeah ian Millen. um oh yeah it's just, it's just awesome like i i look forward to every episode i'm at midnight you know uh you know, Thursday night switches to midnight. I, I'm I'm on it and I'm watching it. I love it. When do you get some like a sense of pride? I mean, now we're talking about TV, but when you see that on screen, do you feel like you have a little bit of a role? Just because Bounty Hunter again for Scotty and I, especially like all like all of our friends were playing that game. We all wanted to learn more about Django. We would use to theorize. I remember with my buddies, we were like, you know, episode two gets fixed if you start at Camino with Obi Wan finding the clones and then having to figure out who the hell is this Django and yeah, where did right. this other Jedi who ordered all these clones come from and kind of make it like a suspense thriller. And yeah. you know, a lot of the joy that I get from watching Mandalorian, it really does originate from that game that, uh, th that you created. I mean, do you, do you get a sense of that? I don't know. I think, I mean, I would never for a moment think that the, the game we made or the work I did on that inspired the people uh, behind the Mandalorian. And honestly, when I, one of, several one-on-one -on -one conversations I had with or one on one plus two or three others in the room with George Lucas over the years was, was about the TV shows he'd be interested in making. And we were talking about this very thing. Like he felt that the bounty, the world of the bounty hunters would be a, a, an amazing primetime adult type programming. And he just, he didn't think we were ready for it yet, but he thought that that is something he, so this was in his mind, like back in, uh, 2000, 2001, uh, 2002 timeframe. That was the meeting where he told me I couldn't make the Vader game, by the oh. way. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we had been talking about, you know, Bounty Hunter and Boba Fett and Jango Fett and just the lore. And he, he kept joking, I've killed this guy so many times. You guys keep bringing him back. Um, <laughs> you know, now they did. Well, I think that's why Django lost his head in episode two, so that nobody could bring him back. <laughs> yeah, he was done. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that was uh, that was the goal there. But um, and so I don't think uh, I don't think I inspired it. But yeah, I I I, ha I got to play in that same sandbox, and I got permission to make up 
things in that sandbox. And I know that the team behind the Mandalorian is, is having that kind of fun too. And, and uh, I'm sure they're consulting with George regularly on, on things. And um, he created, you know, a, you know, he gets a lot of flack for this, that, and the other thing, but George Lucas created an amazing world that I got to play in. I got paid to play in um, mm. and, and create new worlds for other players, uh, other people to enjoy. Uh, which is just super lucky when I think about it. Um, you know, it was, I, I worked on 20, 24, 25 Star Wars games, I think, and, and, and various add-ons and, you know, expansions and things like that. And I enjoyed working on all of them. Um, mm. uh, and, and it was, it's fun to now to see these new series come out and just, you know, the, the ups and downs and how I felt about Star Wars over the years, you know, it's on a, it's on a high point right now, which is mm. kind of fun. I didn't think I'd be taken there again. Game developer John Knowles is with us here on B2B Live, episode 97. And yeah, we've gone the full hour. If we can have just a few more minutes with you, John, I'd love to ask you about like the modern Star Wars game. Uh, there's mm. some controversy. It, they're structured so much more differently than those classic games of the 1990s. They're, there's there's more flexibility with the tools they have to tell those stories mm. but how do you compare and contrast like a battlefront you know modern day battlefront 2015 or battlefront 2 or a jedi fallen order is there any compare and contrast you see between the, the the stories you see now in game form and what you guys brought to us in the 90s well i still honestly haven't played jedi fallen order yet so shame on me for that i, I hear it's great um i'd like to give that a go um i Part of the problem is, you know, making games has always been hard. Um, now it, it's hard with hundreds of people and tens of millions of dollars, maybe hundreds of millions, honestly, in some cases. Um, there's a lot more writing on it. Um, we were just like cowboying it back then. You know? uh, hey, what should Luke fight on his way to the sand crawler? I don't know. How about some red sand crabs? Okay, sure. Um, it was we could be goofy and, and get away with stuff that you just, you can't get away with, especially with, you know, fan attention. You really need to make sure everything pleases, you know, pleases the fans. And it does, whether it's Mandalorian or, or the new star Wars movies, uh, the sequels, um, you know, if you do something that the fans don't want, you're going to, you know, you're going to hear about it. Yeah, I think yeah, we, yeah. I think I got to, we got to avoid a lot of that back then. Um, there were star Wars fans, but they were just hungry for, for content is before the internet too. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't know. I, I, I think that I, we'd probably be facing a lot more criticism for the choices we made back then. Um, uh, maybe some of it rightfully so maybe some of it undeservedly. So it's hard to know how to navigate uh, these days. And I think, you know, uh, EA has done a, a, a pretty good job of, of, you know, picking the right studios and, and, and doing the right, um, kind of work, uh, and, and those teams are certainly passionate about it. You see it in Battlefront. You see it in in um, Fallen Order. The the team at Respawn just killed it. That was that was. I mean, I like I said, I haven't played it. Everything I've seen amazes me. So mm -hmm. I still got to get on it. Um, and like I said, that's what I'm playing right now is Squadrons. Pretty much every night. Um, and uh, to me, I don't I don't expect them to put all of the depth and all of the the stuff that we packed into tie fighter back then um i'd like it if they add more stuff over time i think there was a comment mm -hmm. that well this is not going to be a live services game you know um you know 
don't say shit like that. (laughs) (laughs) Let it, let it happen. If the fans want it to happen, you know, create more content. But that is when you talk about the future gaming. um, Yeah. Games last longer now, like Forza Horizon 4, uh, which is developed by Playground Games. It's when I I work on Forza games uh, now at at, uh, Xbox. Um, that game came out two years ago, and they're still making content for that. Mm-hmm. And there's still millions of people enjoying that game, and um, and they're hungry for more. And yeah, they want another game, and you know, uh, all that stuff too. So that's kind of the world we're in now. You don't just you know make a game, ship it, and walk away from it. You you yeah. gotta ship it and continually improve it, continually add content to it, um, and and that's kind of uh, a new challenge um, for anybody. It's not just people making Star Wars games, but but yes, yeah. I hope they make more. <laughs> well, well t- tomorrow, I think the Galaxy's Edge VR game comes out uh, for Star Wars. There was the uh, the Vader Immortal system. What do you see as sort of the future of gaming for for Star Wars? Oh, I don't know. I imagine there's already people hard at work thinking about how they can do Mandalorian based games or spinoffs <laughs> or something like that. Um, you know, there's. Uh, it seems like it's wide open, um, but you know. I, uh, there's there's obviously fan favorite characters right that you're seeing now in the Mandalorian or you will see soon. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine there's I, I don't really know I don't really know what goes on in those creative meetings. I mean, that's the fun is it, it's such a huge wor- universe you can kind of pick anything and run with it. But I think it's it's fun to now have all this great content that's set in the time that most of us who grew up with this right. I, I say grew up with this I'm I'm probably a lot older than all of you guys. Except for maybe you, Pete. Not me. <laughs> yeah. No, <not> me. <laughs> so you, you know, some of you grew up with episodes, uh, you know, the the prequels, episodes one through three. Some some people are growing up with the new the new Star Wars movies, seven through nine. I grew up with four through six, so that's the world I'm in. I'm happy that there are games being set in that time frame again because that's where I wanted to be. I was told mm-hmm. we couldn't be there in the whole prequel days. We were not wow. allowed to make games set in that time period. Crazy, um, which broke my heart, right? <clears throat> um, but now to see that happen again, that's cool. And I think that the future Star Wars games could also maybe take advantage of the the, the sequels um, for that generation that loves those movies just as much as uh, as you two loved, you know, episodes one through three, and me and Pete mm-hmm. loved four through six. Right. right. <laughs> well, I guess if we can go larger scale real quick with it, though, just gaming in general. VR is the the hottest thing. You have the Oculus and you have the Star Wars Squadrons, but just for gaming in general, John, what what do you think is the future of gaming in the next five ten years? They're probably working on the next thing, but we got a console that's now as big as my my computer tower. Well, it performs as fast as your computer tower too. Honestly, these, <laughs> these new consoles are pretty amazing, um, and it'll take a few years before developers get every last inch out of them. So um, there'll be some really it's hard for me to predict uh, where things are going. I mean, I, I think it, it has to continually uh, appeal to more and more people. Um, you know, game uh, games are the audience is growing, right? Um, the ways you consume games is growing. You know, uh, even with things like XCloud, you can play all these state of the art games through Game Pass on your phone if you want to. Um, that's kind of mind blowing. There's uh, subscription services obviously are a thing now. That's what everybody's is into right now. I think it's really cool that you can jump into Game Pass and find hundreds of games 
fired up um, and I play them. Uh, I uh, PlayStation will have something along those lines soon. Or do they already? I'm not really. Uh, I don't have my PlayStation 5 yet. So. Um, <laughs> Nick, ha- or uh, I was going to say, um, Pete has one. It's it's hiding in his closet right now. Is Jackson yeah. watching this? But it, it, it's just a lot of people. You know, we're not just making games for hardcore gamers. You still make them for them, and you don't want to forget them, but you're making games for lots of people who maybe have been left out um, for one reason or another and, and developing games that can appeal to more of those people without, you know, alienating the, the, the hardcore gamers. So I think um, I I love it when when uh, when new games set a new, you know, set a high bar. You know, I'll, I'll play them for long. The Red Dead Redemption as an example. Yeah. yeah. Well, John, but, we just... We just want to say thank you so much for for being with us. We got people in the live chat are just going crazy. Jesse was like, "Hey, John, if given the opportunity, would you go back to work on a Star Wars project?" Probably. I think I would probably go and do the Boba Fett game that I wanted to. Here do. we go. <laughs> we were you were going to have a choice to. There was going to be a mission where you could choose to kill or capture Dash Rendar. That was that was going to be. Um, yeah. That was that, that was going to be a fun little side mission, but um, I wanted to. Yeah, I wish I could go back and do that. Do that game right, you know. Um, that's probably the one I would do. Yeah. Uh, question: that's John awesome. John mentioned several ideas that were rejected, but was there one game he still wishes he could make? Well, you just kind of said that with with uh, with that story. But uh, what are your thoughts on Boba surviving the Sarlacc and and appearing in the in the well, two episodes ago with the Mandalorian. Oh, I love Did it. You... I, I love it because we we always assumed he got out. And George said, yeah. no, he didn't. He died. I told you. <laughs> I killed him. Why do you keep bringing him back? But, uh, you know, come on. Yeah, so I, I loved it. I love the way they did it. Like, they could leave it alone and never go back to it, and yeah. that would be fine. He's just a nomad yeah. wandering in the desert. All that shit's behind him. He's, mm-hmm. you know, Mad Max 3 or something like that. <laughs> um <laughs> Or maybe he'll come back. I don't know. The thing is, he doesn't have to. They 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 did that just perfectly. I thought. The answer, but yeah. you can't you can't just tease and leave it alone. <laughs> he'll be back. Everyone in the live chat is, is saying um, thank you so much, John. And I can't get the video to play. We've 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 gone longer. You've been so gracious. I, I do want to say this real quick. And Andy, we mentioned him earlier. His son named after Dash. He wants to know. Um, what was the bigger challenge? Uh, who wanted to be with Princess Leia more, uh, Seizure or uh, Seizure or um, Dash <laughs> Rendar? <laughs> no, that would be Seizure. He was all over Leia. I think Dash didn't. Dash didn't care about. Yeah, you know, I mean, you think Han Solo was self-centered. Dash was all. Yeah, you know, Dash was all about himself. You know, uh-huh. um, uh- and his droid buddy. <laughs> I don't know. He wasn't really fleshed out, right? He he yeah. he, he didn't really have uh, that much going on for him. So it would probably be interesting to revisit um, that dude at some point. But uh, yeah, he had a little he had a little peace in time. But yeah, I don't think I don't think he had the hots for Leah. He was just a show off. It was probably like Lando, you know, just like <laughs> I'm the guy. All right, cooler ship: the Millennium Falcon or the Outrider. Oh, the Falcon! Come on, the Falcon! Oh. The Falcon is uh, is 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 you know the the biggest character in Star Wars. It doesn't have a face, right? So but, true. Is but, that uh, I'm proud of the Outrider. I I think that was Doug Jane's design again, um, and uh, it's just a really cool ship that is that is an homage, but not a not a copycat yep. of the Falcon in a really cool way. So. You notice I try and wrap the show like five times. We keep finding a better question to ask. <laughs> um, you know, you've done, you know, you've done your interviews. Uh, you've been so great with Star Wars fans over the years. 
but is there a question that you haven't been asked that you're waiting to be asked that you would love to answer? Hmm. Well, what no, was that's Rick McCallum like. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't get me into trouble. No, actually, he was, he was super cool, super cool to us, actually. Um, although somebody did bang into his car in the parking lot at the Sydney Film Studio, and he was not happy about that. So. <laughs> I can only imagine. <clears throat> but um, no, uh, yeah, I can't. You know, I can't really think of. I can't really think of anything offhand. That's too open ended. I'd have to go and think about that. Maybe if I could follow up. <laughs> Oh, uh, we would love to have you back on the show, John. It would be an absolute blast, and we appreciate your time tonight. And if you can let the people know, um, real quick, we'll put you full on screen. What What are you doing right now in the industry? Because you're still very active. And if people want to follow you, what's the best way to do so? Oh, yeah. Well, um, I pretty much have used Junk 1969, not because I'm a, a freak or anything. That's the year I was born, 1969. <laughs> um that's my uh, Twitter handle. That's also my Xbox uh, gamer tag, um, and I think my EA friend name too. Actually, so I've, I've been able to just use that one everywhere. So you can find me in any of those things, um, and uh, and uh, you know I might see you online. You know if I'm not playing Forza. I mean I work on on the Forza franchise now, so um, uh, you know I'm mostly uh involved in in that um stuff i'm involved with is future thinking right now so can't really get into all those things but um you know making really cool games with really cool cars is a really fun thing um that's all awesome. so so uh um and you know with in two of the most talented studios in the world turn 10 and playground games um, mm -hmm. making games for that franchise has just been a, a real hoop to work in so um, I don't think I'll be making a pod racing game anytime soon. But, uh, <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> Damn it! But uh, man, it'd probably be really cool in the Forza engine. Oh um, man, yes, it'd be yeah. amazing. <laughs> That's not how we roll. Uh, Forza's about love of cars, not pod racers. So <laughs> Ben says thanks, John and BTBD. Great guest, Grush, great show. Jesse says thanks, John, for taking time to answer some of our questions. And we all say here uh, from BTBD Live. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this week, John. I would love to have you back on the show. All right. Thank you. It was, it was good to be here, and it was great to to meet all of you guys and spend some time. Um, happy to happy to blab Star Wars. <laughs> We're going to have to try and guilty into going on Bomb Badcast because I think that Scotty has three hours That's worth of written column questions. Well, this was a special week here on BTBD Live 97. We're so glad that you could join us. Please share the word about the conversation we've had with John uh, and, and share this with all of our Star Wars friends. We're so glad that uh, we can enter this in, into the conversation of our community, uh, one that's uh, all-inclusive. We're not exclusive here. We're just here to have fun talking Star Wars. So uh, for John, for Scotty, for Pete, uh, for myself, thank you all so much. Next live stream here on the Beyond the Blast Doors channel will be this Friday when we talk about the Mandalorian. Ahsoka's showing up? Probably not. But, you know, <laughs> we might get Cara maybe? Dune killed off or Greek Karga. <laughs> maybe. Uh, I don't know. I hear he's directing. It, it should be a really good time. Folks, stay with us on Twitter always at BTBD Star Wars. We'll see you soon. Welcome to Beyond the Blast Doors. Welcome to our Star Wars conversation. <laughs>